the good land. Last week we talked about a message called the good land, where if you haven't realized the theme, we're going over different attributes of the goodness of God. Last week we talked about the good wind of God, that we were learning to discern between the winds of the Holy Spirit and the winds of different teachings and philosophy that try to drive us, that try to take us um, off course. And we talked about the way to discern how God is moving because we are a church that believes that God is taking us to new places. You might be hearing the term tonight, apostolic. Apostolic is we are going into new ventures, going into new places where maybe others have not gone before, paving the way for God to do what he wants to do. Well, in getting in that vein of moving with the wind of the Holy Spirit, changing things up, doing things as we do, we have to make sure that we're not doing anything of the wrong voice, but only of the voice of God. Amen? Well, the two things that we talked about in order to discern the voice of God, it comes down to simply this. We must be intimate in our relationship with God, seeking Him. And two, we must be unified with the people of God. Because when we're unified together, it keeps us accountable to one another to not go into false teachings, false doctrines, false ideals, which I believe most of the church has gone into today. Maybe not most of the church, but many churches are starting to, starting to compromise in philosophies starting to compromise and saying what the Bible used to say was sin. They're saying it's not sin. There's a lot of compromise going on. And we have to make sure that we stay in the vein of what God wants us to stay in. Amen? It all hinges on simply this. We are seeking face-to-face encounters with God. Seeking to know Him. Seeking to know Him so that we can discern the manifestations of His presence. That we don't seek the wind, we seek the Father. We don't seek the thing, we seek to know Him, and in seeking to know Him, we get to experience different things. God's doing a lot of different and cool stuff in this house. We talk a lot about the the healings that we've seen. We've seen people with shoulders healed, going in for biopsies and cancer disappearing, We've seen people get up from wheelchairs at our resurrection gathering and never use the wheelchair again, and they've been paralyzed almost 20 years. God's doing crazy stuff in this house, amen? Amen. There's other stuff that is happening that I didn't even realize is happening, nor did we plan for happen, not that we ever planned for any of it to happen. But I wanted to share something with you about one of the manifestations God has done. Um, Yahira was talking to me last week. This is Yahira. I just want to embarrass you. Raise your hand. Um, And... uh, she was sharing with me something that happened with her mother the week before in the message. She came up to me and said, Kyle, I want to tell you something that's pretty cool. She said, my mom came with me to service, and she doesn't speak a lick of English. She's from Puerto Rico, and her uh, language is Spanish. Did I get that right? And all she knows how to say is hello and goodbye. So for those of you that were talking to her and she was nodding her head, (laughs) she didn't know what the heck you were saying. (laughs) Here's what's cool. When they left the service, her mom looked at Yahira and said, that was such a good message. She understood the entire thing and Yahira said, mom, you know that was in English, right? And she said, I can't explain it, but I heard everything he was saying. Let me tell you what that is in Scripture. It's the interpretation of tongues. See, the interpretation of tongues is not limited to just a holy language. 
I was sharing that with someone that was at getting coffee the uh, next day. It was uh, George and Michelle, and they admitted that since we started the coffee shop, they said that they, this was their first time that they had been in there, so it was a great day. I was sharing that testimony, and Michelle right here, if you want to put your hand up, that way I can embarrass you. She said, oh my gosh, let me tell you what happened almost a year ago. Her mother came to service, who was from Brazil and, and spoke Portuguese, and the exact same thing happened. Didn't speak English, but heard the entire message. Is that, is that correct? Here's what I'm, I'm th- we, we are a unified people seeking God. And if our focus is only to seek to know him, he will do whatever he wants, however he wants. And earthly things that try to hinder that, such as a language barrier, are no longer barriers. God can do anything. And he's doing anything he wants because we're giving him glory. I I say that to say this. Presence is not a thing. Presence is a person. When we say we want to get in the presence of God, it is simply a personal revelation that he is here. And when you start to understand that the person of God is present among us, atmospheres will shift according to the revelation that he is among us. It's not let's get in the presence. It's understand that he is here and he is present. What the church has gotten wrong is they think presence is an atmosphere. So we try to set the atmosphere for presence instead of simply getting the understanding of knowing he is present and everything gets in line with the knowing that he is here. There's an example of this in scripture in John chapter 20. In verses 19 through 20, it says this. That Sunday evening, the disciples... We're meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why? He had just been killed on the cross, and they were scared that the leaders who were against Jesus were going to come against them. So they were in locked doors. No one, no one could get in. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them and said, Peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with what? Joy when they saw the Lord. Jesus was standing in the room. Now, this version, the New Living Translation says suddenly, but that word is not necessarily in all the translations. I say that to say this. We don't know how long he was in the room before they realized he was standing there. With doors locked, they were not expecting Jesus, the one who was just killed, to just show up and be there in their midst. Here's what I want to pull out. They weren't filled with joy when the presence of God was in the room. They were filled with joy when they recognized that he was present. He could have been in there five minutes for all we knew. And when they looked at him and when he showed them the wounds then... They were filled with joy. It wasn't that God was present that filled them with joy. It was when they knew he was present. They were filled with joy. We need to understand that when we have a personal revelation that God is here, 
all the things that you seek from any other well will be poured out to you. And simply this, I know that he is here. So when you're home alone or when you're driving in your car and depression starts to set in, when you realize that he is here, the thing that battles depression is poured out in you. Because you're, you're no longer thinking, let me get in the presence of God at church. Let me recognize that he is right here with me in the driver's seat. It's a revelation that he is there among you. Going on in verse 21, it says this again. He said, peace be with you. The Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now listen to this. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. This happens before Acts 2. So for all you Pentecostals that think the Holy Spirit came just in Acts 2. It was a different manifestation. Right here, it was simply the 12 who received. Acts 2, there were many gathered in the upper room waiting and seeking. What's going on is that we tend to lift up certain manifestations above others and start to seek manifestations. What happens in the church is that we read things in Acts 2 like they start speaking in tongues and, 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 and looks like fires dancing above their heads above them and we start saying we want that. What happened in John is that he said, receive the Holy Spirit so that you can forgive those who come to you. What they received in the, in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in this chapter is they received an authority to act on behalf of God as his ambassadors and representatives in the earth. And if we're not careful, we'll start to seek the things instead of the Him. And when we seek the Him... He will give you whatever thing you may need. Whether it be a miracle to get up out of a wheelchair or the ability to hear a sermon in English even though you've never spoke a lick of it. Because we're not trying to find a thing. We're wanting to know him. Is this okay? Yes. Going into Hosea 9, the people were rejoicing. And God starts to deal with the people. In verse 1, it says, O people of Israel, do not rejoice as other nations do. For you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on every threshing floor. When Hosea brought this prophecy, things weren't necessarily bad in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the people of God. How do we know they didn't think they were bad? They were rejoicing. They were celebrating. They were having a great time. And God looks at their celebration and says, Oh, people, don't rejoice. They were having fun. They were having good times among themselves. They were rejoicing. God says, Don't rejoice because you have been unfaithful. And as we move into this passage over these next few verses, we actually see hints of them eating food and, and grapes and things from the harvest. 
We need to take notice that the reason they were rejoicing because they were actually in a type of harvest festival in Israel. They were harvesting grain, they were harvesting all these things, and they were celebrating because of all the things they were doing. Kind of like in the church, how we celebrate things a lot. We celebrate, you know, okay, well, we have four baptisms. You know, we celebrate that, you know, God's moving in the church. There's all kind of celebrations, all kind of good celebrations. But for these people, when they were celebrating, God says, no, 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 you don't rejoice. And he says, you don't rejoice because you have been unfaithful. You've given yourself to any other need to satisfy yourselves, just like prostitutes, and you're worshiping other gods, you're worshiping other idols on my threshing floor. He says, you don't rejoice because you've been getting things by your own hand. You have not been depending on me. And you're taking things into your own hands to such a degree that you are bringing idols to my threshing floor. The threshing floor was the place where grain was processed. The threshing floor was a smooth, guess what, a floor. It's not a trick question, y'all. And it was used to harvest grain by separating the grain from the husk or the grain from the chaff. Animals would actually walk and crush and break sheaves of grain on this flat, smooth surface to separate the good stuff from the bad stuff. The stuff they needed from the stuff they didn't need. And their final separation was done by this process called winnowing. What winnowing was, was after everything had been crushed, after everything had been sorted through, after, you know, that they went through all the process of good from bad, evil from good, they would take what was left and throw it up in the wind. And when they would throw it up in the wind, this process called winnowing, the rest of anything that needed to be carried off and blown away would have been blown away. I think that's sometimes how the winds of the Holy Spirit works and the ideas of conviction. Because we can be doing all the right stuff and doing all the good stuff, but then the Holy Spirit, if you're in a posture of seeking to know God, he will blow in such a way where you'll start getting convicted about things that you've never given sight to before. It's the process by which God says, I want to take everything of you that I see as good and separate things that were never supposed to be a part of you. You see, conviction is not necessarily, I want you to feel bad about what you're doing. Conviction is, I want to reveal what's in you that should not exist. So the issue, what the church has kind of promoted is, conviction is, I feel bad about my sins. Conviction is, you should be so consumed in your God-given identity that when I show you this thing, you don't want it to, 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 to exist in the person that is you, because you know that you are good and that thing is not. Is that okay? The process of winnowing was actually when Ruth was told to go meet Boaz. There was a time when basically God wanted Ruth to go to Boaz, and the scripture actually reads Ruth was sent to the threshing floor, if you know the story, basically Boaz was like every woman's dream and Ruth was, I think the name meant someone to, to look at, so every man's dream. 
And basically what happens in the story is that Ruth is sent to the threshing floor and is told to, to go lay down um, in the place where Boaz is going to lay. And when he wakes up, she was there. The reason for that is because in that time, if you were to lay down with a man, not, we're not talking about necessarily a sexual thing. This is just laying down. It was marriage. So Ruth got what she wanted, right? God made a way for that all at the threshing floor. And in that story, Ruth is actually a picture of the believer. Boaz is actually a picture of the redemption of Jesus. It's kind of like John laying, it says, on the breast or the chest of Jesus. It's this idea of I want everything of me to be intimate with Jesus, with God. I, as the bride, want to lay with the bridegroom and everything that is of him, let it redeem what is not right in me and make it look like the bridegroom. Well, these people in Israel at this beautiful thing called the threshing floor, they were putting other gods there because they thought their ways would help the harvest. Because sometimes the process to get what you want is not as fast and immediate as you would like it to be. Like when you're believing for that breakthrough and it's been 10 years you've been praying... Or you're wanting the life change moment and it still hasn't come. And what will happen in times of waiting is we start to get involved and bring our own process to something that God never wanted because we want to take things in our own hands and speed it up. Like Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a son. Ten years go by, she ain't pregnant. So she tells Abraham to go sleep with someone else. We talked about that story a couple weeks ago and, and had a son. Taking things in their own hand. Kind of like, like we do in the church. Like, the pro, like we take things that are of God and we put our own process to it. Like when you're broke and you use your tithe to pay your bill. Oh, that too much? Because God's principle of tithing doesn't exist when I need to pay my bill, right? That's what we do. We bring our own process to it. Or when your spouse isn't meeting your needs, so you start to look for other needs. Because you want the need instead of investing in the process for there to want to be need anymore. Or, or, or maybe you're depending on an altar call. Instead of learning how to just seek him wherever you are in an intimate relationship with the Father. We love to put process to things. And sometimes God says, why are you rejoicing when the thing you got was by your hand instead of by mine? That's what he's talking to the people of Israel about. You see, we as people, we don't like the winnowing or the threshing floor. We don't like the, the, the taking things in our own hands instead of embracing the process. Perhaps that's why a fruit of the Spirit of God is patience. Which, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit of God is not this idea that when we do something, we produce fruit. It's when you know him, the fruit of your new culture looks like this. It shouldn't be a momentary thing. It should be a lasting thing. Patience should not be momentary. It should be the new culture. Because you will need patience to depend on his threshing floor and winnowing. You will need patience in tribulation. You'll need patience in reaping what you sow. 
You'll need patience with each other instead of expecting immediate change in somebody. That's a big reason why churches end up having issues. Because we see that someone gets it wrong and they're jerks and they're mean. And instead of being patient for them to change and shift, you get offended and find a new family. Instead of being patient in the process, loving the process, loving the person, and allowing God to take them through their personal threshing floor, their personal winnowing, their personal convictions, we love to put our hands to the process. Is this okay? The scripture says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And a lot of times we are still weak, because we bring process instead of embracing the weight. And when we're not seeking him, when we're not going to the threshing floor to let the evil be separated from the good, let the stuff in us that should not be in us be revealed, what we start to do is we start to have a separation by process. We take things in our own hands instead of being held in his. And when we start to take things in our own hands, God says, I'm bringing a judgment to that. And this is what he says to the people in verse 2 of Hosea 9. So now, your harvest will be too small to feed you. The stuff you got by your own accord ain't going to cut it. There will be no grapes for making new wine. You may no longer stay here in the Lord's land. Instead, you will return to Egypt. And in Assyria, you will eat food that is ceremonial and unclean. There you will make no offerings of wine to the Lord. None of your sacrifices there will please him. They will, they will be unclean like food touched by a person in mourning. All who present such sacrifices will be defiled. They may eat this food themselves, but they may not offer it to the Lord. God says, all the stuff you're getting by your process, instead of depending on me, instead of seeking my presence, Instead of seeking me face to face, you will no longer be sustained by the harvest of that grain because you got it in a way I did not ordain. You got the grapes for the wine by a way that I did not ordain. And he said, because of that, you can no longer dwell in my land. There is a land that God calls his people to dwell in. And in his land, there is sustenance for everything we need. The scripture tells us that the church should be so unified in seeking God that there is no need among the people. There is a, there is a land, there is a, I, I believe that there is a kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven that we can enter into where everything that God has for us, it's there. And he says, if you try to get it by your own way, you're going to have to depend on the stuff that's not everlasting, that's not sustaining. Grain was the thing that sustained the people. It was their bread. Hence, Jesus being the bread of life. Wine was the thing used for celebration. We take communion all the time. We have the bread and you know, for, for us, we have the grape juice, but you get the point, it's the wine. God showed me something a little 
bit different about the wine in my studies this week. Wine was the thing used for celebrations. Wine was the thing used for the people to experience a joy in what they were receiving. And God says, when you try to sustain yourselves and celebrate the wrong thing, I will not allow you to be sustained by bread or experience the joy by wine. He says, you will not stay in this land of more than enough and joy. Adam and Eve tried to pursue something outside of knowing the Father. There was a temptation of, there is more knowledge in this tree than I need from my Father. And when they took of that knowledge, when they took it by their own hand, by they took the idea of knowledge of good and evil in their own hand, in their own process, he says, you can't stay in this land anymore. The only way to enter into good land again is through Jesus. Now, don't put it up there just yet, but I'm about to read a, a passage where Jesus comes on the scene and he's about to perform his first miracle. What was the first miracle? Turning water into wine. God showed me something different this week in this. John chapter 2, starting in verses 1 through, 1 through 4. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Stop right there. They have no more wine. They have no more means to celebrate what's going on. And when they had no more means to celebrate, Mary didn't go looking for more wine. She didn't go asking about the wine press. She went to one person. She went to Jesus. She looked to the one where joy would be pressed out of. And in verse 4 it says this, Woman, why do you involve me? I love it that she, he just called his mom a woman. <laughs> woman, why do you involve me? He replied. And he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, for years I have heard it preached the same way. My hour has not yet come. And I've even preached this, that it was out of time for him to perform his first miracle. But there's something more. It wasn't just that it wasn't time for the first miracle. He says, the time has not yet come. It is not yet time for them to experience a taste of the joy that comes from seeking me instead of their own vineyards. And many times, we are not experiencing joy or the fullness of life because we don't drink of the wine of a life-seeking God. We don't go to Him when we're depleted. We start creating our own vineyards of grapes because we don't know how to enter in and live in the good land of His presence. And we can be a people drinking from the wine in his land. Or we endure a different type of wine press. Type of wine. There's a scripture in Revelation verse 14 or chapter 14 verse 19 that says this. The angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. I don't know about you, but I don't want to 
I don't want to drink of that type of wine. There's actually a song that many people sing that was written out of the scripture. It goes like, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vineyard where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Battle him of the republic. He wants us to experience the wine of joy and celebration in his land. And all that stuff we're trying to hold on to, he says, I'm going to trample out by my wrath. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in a life, in a land, where the wine press and the threshing floor are there, where my sustenance and my joy is found in him and him alone, so that God would find nothing in me less than what looks like him. So the prayer in seeking God is, God, take me through the threshing floor. Take me through the wine press. Let everything in me that is not depending on you be thrown away because I don't want to drink from any other wine or eat from any other bread than the one that comes from you. I don't want to live in a land where I have to try to meet my own need. I want to live in a land where he sustains me. My joy comes from the Lord, not my situations. We should not live in a reality where joy is dependent upon a good day. And if it is, you are not drinking of the wine that comes out of a relationship with Jesus. You're seeking your vineyards. You're seeking your wine presses. Just going on in the, 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 the wine miracle, he says this in verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Listen to this now. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. It's pretty awesome. Not only did he turn water into wine, but he used it in the pots that were for foot washing. (laughs) Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, this is where it gets interesting. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Let me pause right here. This is something I don't think we pay enough attention to. We assume everyone at that wedding knew that there was a miracle happening. They didn't. Only the servants. And it says, and he called the bridegroom aside. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. And said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have drank too much. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs to which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Leave that up. What was revealed in the wine? It says first signs of his what? His glory. It wasn't about the miracle. Because the people in the party had no idea that a miracle had even happened. The revealed glory was joy in the presence of God. The wine of celebration at that wedding, when you enter into the presence of the bridegroom, the bride, the people get to drink of that wine. What was the miracle? 
They were experiencing a joy by the means of a miracle. And they weren't giving any credit to the miracle. They were giving credit to this dude who just gave us the best wine. Joy in the presence of the Lord. Something, is this making sense? Something interesting about the miracle, when grapes were in a wine press, the Jews had to be stored and stand for a certain amount of days before it could be drank. You know how many days they had to stay in there? Forty. Moses, he, had to, he was on Mount Sinai in the glory of God for how many days and nights? Forty. It's called process. Jesus fasted for how long? Forty days, forty nights in the desert when he was tempted by the enemy. Jesus, the amount of time he was on the earth after he died on the cross was forty days. There was a time of process for the thing that was created for joy to be experienced. Joy in the glory of God. Joy in the sustenance of the Father. Joy in the presence of Jesus. And when we deny ourselves the good land of sustenance and joy, because we don't like the process, we start to take things in our own hands, we miss out on something beautiful. In the presence of Jesus, the glory of God was experienced, and they didn't have to go through a process of 40 days. Because in the presence of God, nothing is bound by time or process. The only process there is, is I want to know the bridegroom. The only process there is, is I want to be in the presence of the bridegroom. In that moment, they drank of the best wine that usually took a process of 40 days. And I believe God is declaring to each of you tonight, stop thinking about how long will it take or how long must I endure and get consumed in one thing. I want to know him who is no, not bound by process. I want to know him because out of knowing him comes the joy I get throughout anything. There was, there's joy in the process and he can do whatever he wants and however he wants. Seek the presence. You know the Hebrew word for presence? It's face. The Hebrew word for presence is not even an experience. The Hebrew word for presence is face. Seek his face. Seek him. Not a thing. If you seek him, he says, you get to harvest the bread and the wine. God's looking at these people and he's saying, you're rejoicing when you have nothing to rejoice in. You're rejoicing in your own process, by your own hand. And then he goes on with this conversation in verse 5. He says of Hosea 9, what are you going to do on festival days? Remember, he's saying, when the wine's gone, when the bread's gone, what are you going to do when it's a time of celebration? How are you going to observe the Lord's festivals? Even if you escape destruction from Assyria, Egypt will conquer you. Memphis will bury you. Nettles will take over your treasures of silver and thistles will invade your ruined homes. God says, people, you don't honor me, so I'm going to take you away from my land, put you in a land of exile, and you're going to be in a place where you won't have anything to, go to, to do what you're doing now. What you going to do then when you ain't got nothing to give me? Church, what you going to do when the government shuts down the meaning of the church? 
What are you going to do when there's no longer a physical altar to go get prayed for by the people of God? What are you going to do? Because right now you're doing it by your own hand. You're not seeking me. You're seeking a process. You know what church people do? They seek the next man of God. They seek the, the new pastor with the anointing on him. The fact of the matter is he has poured out his spirit on the church and there should be no more or less anointing for me than my brother or me and my sister. It's that we all have different assignments operating from the same level of ability. What is our ability? Him. Him alone. His strength. The apostle Paul got it. He said, you don't need me. You've seen what I do. Now do what I do and now I'm going. You don't need me because you've got him. He says, what are you going to do? Egypt's going to conquer you. Memphis is going to bury you. Nettles and thistles are going to overrun the places you store your treasures. Nettles and thistles, kind of like briars and thorns and all these. He says, what are you going to do when all that's gone, church? Because your joy has not been found in me. It's been found in these things. Well, well I, I can't get in the presence until that, that certain song comes on. What are you going to do when you can't listen to that song? Right? I don't know what this is, but. Well, I don't like worshiping unless the lights are out. What are you going to do when the only place to worship is in the daylight? Right? I can't, well, I, I, I can't worship unless I'm comfortable when it's, you know, 64 degrees in here. What's you going to do when there's no more HVAC? Right? That's probably a word for me. He said, what you going to do? What are you going to do in a land where you have nothing? What you going to do when you find out all the things that made you happy are gone? He says, even if you escape the tough times of life, get this people of God, you will be miserable in any other place than my land. And it's a good land. It's where he wanted the people of God to go, being free from the Egyptians in Exodus 3. It says this in verses 7 through 9, The Lord told them, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. You know what milk was? A milk was a symbolism of fertility. He says, in my land, there's an abundance for you to produce, for you to give birth what God's put in you. In the good land and the kingdom culture of God, it's not get you to make the vision of one man happen. In the culture of God, in the land of God, he says, anything you need for your assignment, there's plenty of milk for that thing to give birth to. We are not trying to build a house where you make my dream come true. That's not what this house is all about. The vision of this house is to see you come alive in Christ. Christ meaning the anointing. The vision of this, 
to see you come alive in what you were anointed and purposed to do. And if we would seek him, we would be brought into a land of milk where everything you need to give birth to your assignment will be there. Is this a land flowing with milk? A land flowing with honey? You know what honey was? It was a symbol of delightness or sweetness or joy. He says, I will bring you into my land, which produces everything you need. And he says, it's not because you, you built great tabernacles, and it's not because you had great church meetings and services. It's because I heard your cry. It wasn't because they were building great temples or extravagant buildings. It wasn't because they had a great praise team. It was not because they had the right flow in their services. He says, I heard your cry. He says, he, at this time, he's looking at Israel, and he says, I hear you seeking me. And because I know you're seeking me, I'm going to bring you into a good land where everything you need to accomplish what I put in you is going to come to pass. I don't know about you, but I want to be there where everything I need is found in him. Not by my own hand, not by my process, but by seeking to know the one. Hosea continues in verse 7, The time of Israel's punishment has come. The day of payment is here. Soon Israel will know this all too well. Because of your great sin and hostility, you say the prophets are crazy. And the inspired men are fools. The prophet is a watchman over Israel for my God. Yet traps are laid for him wherever he goes. He faces hostility even in the house of God. That sounds like the modern church. The things my people do are as depraved as what they did in Gibeah long ago. God will not forget. He will surely punish them for their sins. When everyone's happy, the church looks at the need for a prophet as foolish. Especially when the prophet may say something like, God's not happy with what's going on in the church. Yeah, but we bring in $10 million this year, and we gave $7 million to outreach. And then the prophet comes and says, why are y'all rejoicing? We don't like that sound. Is this too much? The, pros, the, the prophet, the, 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 the purpose of the function of a prophet, prophet is to be the watchman for the people under God. It, it's the one gift, help called to keep watch and help the people be on path and it's the one gift where the church has rejected. Why? Because why should we need that gift when we have good music, good business, and good preaching? God says, the things you're doing, people, are as bad as what happened in Gibeah. It was referring to what was going on in Gibeah in Judges 19. I'm not going to read the passage, but basically it was this. If you remember in Judges 19, I did a whole series on Judges. It was simply this. Men were beating down a door because they all wanted to have sex with a man in a town full of murder and rape. The people were doing this. The, 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 the people were in total sin, total depravity, and, and he says... And y'all think the prophet's foolish? I imagine that's what God wants to tell the church today. You're lifting up every kind of moral absurdity 
and you think the, the modern day gift of an apostle and a prophet's foolish? But you won't call the her a her because her identifies as a him? And you call that gift foolish? Y'all know I'm speaking the truth. You got people that can't be healed of a lie called cancer and you think the gift of healing is foolish? Because what we do is we put our hand to the process. And we say, well, I've got friends that have diseases and they've been prayed over 10 times and never gotten healed. It's not, about see, it's not about necessarily I want to see the healing. It's about I'm putting my agreement in the chance for it. I will not agree with anything else. Even if I never see it, I'm going to agree with this. No, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, maybe. No, no, no. Yeah. Even if the one I believe God wanted to be elected didn't get it, I'm going to put my agreement there. Not with the person, with the value. I think the amazing thing about Jesus isn't just salvation, but what salvation does. It's you no longer need to depend on one prophet because I'm giving the prophetic gift among the people who are all made pure because of the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. I am giving gifts to an unqualified people who I have now qualified by way of salvation. Paul even tells the people in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, follow me. Follow my example. You know why? Because Paul was seeking God. So everything he did looked like God. So he was not embarrassed to tell the people, hey, y'all do what I do. And I believe we have to be a people that look like Jesus in everything we do. So that we never have to say, do you know Jesus for someone to say, what is it that I see in you? And then we can say, what you see is what I seek. Because what we like to do is like, we like to put process to salvation. Let's come up with a process and hand out 300 tracks where 98% of them will fall in the trash. And we call that success. We, instead of maybe just going to the threshing floor, God, show me any part of me that doesn't look like you. So that the ones who don't know you see you. As in a mirror when they look at me. Why, why are you so happy all the time? Don't you got problems? Yeah, tons of problems. But my problems don't take away from where I drink my wine. You want to talk about turning water into wine? Show people how. The question is, what water are they drinking from? It's like the woman at the well. She was at the well and she was trying to just get something to drink. Or, or she came to get something to drink. Jesus was having something to drink at the well, drinking water. And he's, she's bothering him. 
What you doing here? You Jews don't like us. What you doing here? What you doing here? Finally, Jesus has enough, says, well, man, ain't you been, ain't, ain't you been like, had like, what, what was it, five or six husbands? Now you shacking with somebody? You with, y'all don't know shacking? Just look it up. You know what he was telling her? If you keep drinking from that water, you'll never experience the sustenance of this wine, this living water. You keep trying to find your joy in all these other things. Find joy in the thing that's everlasting. Let this living water be your wine. This, this, I, uh, verse 10 of Hosea 9. The Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. But then they deserted me for Baal Peor, giving themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile, as vile as the God they worship. You know what God just told them? He says, I want the people to be like the people I used to know, a faithful people, a special people. The thing about this is that fresh grapes in the desert, it was unexpected and special and very peculiar. Because fresh grapes did not come in abundance in the desert place. God says, where's my peculiar people? Where's my special? It was, this is talked about in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, his own special people. You know what that word special really actually most accurately means translated is peculiar. It's in a lot of versions. That you proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. You're chosen. Why do you think you're not worthy? You're royal. Why do you walk around defeated? You're holy. Why do you call yourself not? You're peculiar. Why do you look like your culture? I believe that's a prophetic word for the church. Church, why do you look like, why are you trying to outdo concerts? You're supposed to look peculiar. You're supposed to look weird. You're supposed to look different because they shouldn't look at you with natural eyes. When they look at you with natural eyes, they will see you strange. But I don't know if you've noticed lately, that's where all natural eyes are going. They're going for what's strange and different. And you know where they're finding peculiar? Losing their identity for all this weird stuff. Instead of seeing a peculiar people. They're trying to find all this mysticism and ideas of witchcraft and magic and sorcery. You know why? Because the peculiar people don't look peculiar anymore. We don't even hardly believe in real manifestations of the glory of God. And because of that, they're trying to find manifestations and everything else. And unfortunately, the enemy is the greatest deceiver, and he knows how to make anything look like things of God. You know why? Because the enemy knows God. The enemy knows the Bible. The enemy knows scripture. He knows truth better than anyone. He just denies it. So he, brought, he, he prowls around like a lion. And he knows how to do it like a lion because he knows the true lion. All witchcraft is is a counterfeit of what God actually wants to do. 
That's why it's called bitterness and lies. I don't know why I'm on this vein. If there's nothing different in the way we look and operate, we have to ask ourselves, are we the people that God used to know of the days of old? Remember the days of old? As it talked about Micah, I, I, Jesus was revealed out of Bethlehem, but he came from the ancient past, an ancient day, just like you, you may have revealed in the place you were born with the parents you're with, but that's not you. You existed before the day you were revealed in the earth. He says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb, and I want that version of you revealed. And it's peculiar and strange to what you have come to know of yourself, because you think of yourself as a failure, failure and I see a king. You look at yourself as someone whose life has been wasted, and God says, I look at you, and I see someone who is holy and blameless and righteous in my eyes. Why can't you see it? Because we don't seek him. We try to get it by our own hand. We try to, we try to find identity in anything else, and God says, if you would just come to know me, I have everything you need. I have all the bread. I have all the wine. I have all the reason for your joy. He says, you used to look like me. Now you don't. And the last few verses of Hosea, it says, the glory of Israel, verse 11, is going to fly away like a bird. <clears throat> Your children will not be born or grow in the womb or even be conceived. Even if you do have children who grow up, I will take them from you. It will be a terrible day when I turn away and leave you alone. I've watched Israel become as beautiful as Tyre. But now Israel will bring out her children for slaughter. Oh, Lord, what should I request for your people? I'll ask for wombs that don't give birth and breasts that give no milk. Why aren't you allowed in the land of God? When you're, when you're not in the land of God, there is no birthing. There is no conception. Don't expect to produce. You may produce what you try to produce, but you won't produce what he's called you to produce. I believe that's why many people live in a state of misery. Because they're putting hand to produce things they were never called to. It's a land flowing with milk. He said, you operate outside that land, you're not going to get that from me. You're not going to get the thing that you need for sustenance and birthing. And the church cannot keep preaching a message called grace where we think we can allow anything to happen simply because he paid a debt. Grace is not do what you want. Grace is despite you have done what you want, I have an offering and it's my son. You come to know him and he'll deal with the things in you that were never supposed to be. And all he requires, he doesn't require perfection. You know what he requires? He says, look at my face. He says, get to know me. And I'll take care of the rest. I felt like God wanted me to say this in Isaiah 59, 19. It says, so as the result of the Messiah's intervention, they shall reverently fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. 
the spirit of the Lord will lift up his standard against him and put him to flight. He will come like a rushing stream which the breath of the Lord drives. Let me tell you what this simply means. God says, I will, the enemy will come in and try to consume everything, try to wash everything away. And he says, I will raise up a standard, not just of people who say they believe, but people who live like it. I believe we are entering in a day for this house specifically where God is raising up a standard. And some of us are going to go. I hope all of us go, and some may not. But when he takes us to the standard, we embrace the standard he sets. I haven't heard this. This is just a what if. If God raised up a standard to seek me for hours upon hours together, we're going to find out real quick who wants to be a part of that standard. He says, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to raise this standard. And if we don't walk in that standard, why would you experience the land of heaven on earth? Why would you think people would come to something where there is no standard? Why do you think the lost, why do you think the people who are broken would come to a place that doesn't look peculiar, that doesn't look strange, that does not look like a standard that God has set when they can find it in much more fun expressions, according to them? The Lord says, Hosea 9, 15, all their wickedness began at, began at Gilgal. You know where Gilgal was? It used to be the place that were raising up prophets under Elijah and Elisha. He says, their wickedness began at that place. There I began to hate them. The place that was where I raised up my sons and daughters is now the place of wickedness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, church, the place where I want to raise up my sons and daughters have become the very place where they have brought their own process to the threshing floor and worshiping their own idols, like the idols of a worship experience. We got to have a good product to present to the people. No, no, no. We don't want to present a good product. We want to seek to know him and look like him so people come to know him, not by a brand. Let's raise up the standard. Why do you come to church? Oh, it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 it's a good one. I, I see a day where people will flood into a company of people who look like a different type of standard. And it's, I'm going to say it, it's not going to be because we have the most talented praise team or the most talented or the most accurate prophets. It's not going to be because we have the greatest prayer things. It's not because we do everything the best. It's simply because of this. There is something going on in a peculiar people who are seeking the face of God. And that is going to become the genuine expression that people want to be a part of. where we don't depend on a climate or an atmosphere for presence. We depend on knowing him. He says, I will drive them from my land because of their evil actions. I will love, I will love them no more because all their leaders are rebels. The people of Israel are struck down. Their roots are dried up. They'll bear no more fruit. If they give birth, I'll slaughter their beloved children. My God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen and they will not obey. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. 
he says this, the people have been exiled from me because the place that should be known for my presence has become a place known for everything else. And when that becomes the process, you ain't going to stay in the land that produces and sustains. We must be a people living up to the new standard of who we were created to be. And the promise is, when you live up to that standard, what's the standard? Seek him, know him, walk with him, shift with him, change with him, be revealed in him. He says, when you live up and start, and start seeking me, I will raise up that standard and I will allow you to live in a land, a kingdom culture, a heaven on earth reality where the bread of life and the wine of joy will be available to all who simply seek him. So I say this as we close tonight, let us be a peculiar people that God invites into his good land. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight?